shut in the sea with doors? Who said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed? From the book of Job, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. When I was a child, I was terrified of tornadoes. It all started one night. I must have been six or seven years old. And my parents had tucked me in and made their way back to the living room for an evening movie. The featured film on this particular night, the classic late 90s disaster film, Twister. At some point, the clamor of tornadic devastation woke me up, and so I wandered out from my bed half awake into the living room. And as I turned the corner from the hallway, the television came into full view, and what I saw shook me. A full-sized cow flying through the air, caught in the cyclonic winds of the twister and mooing the whole time. Now this formative moment led to a kind of years-long obsession with tornadoes. I remember reading books on tornadoes from the public library, writing reports in school on what I could understand about the science behind them. The fascination was no doubt rooted, however, in a deep fear of these terrible storms. I remember looking at countless photographs of the devastations wrought by these monstrous storms, mesmerized by their sheer power. The fear was continually stoked by the fact that living in rural Illinois, each spring brought a new tornado season. For a couple of months out of the year in the spring, it seemed the radio called out tornado warnings several times a week. So I have vivid memories of being woken up in the middle of the night by my parents and by our village sirens, which announced that a funnel cloud had touched down somewhere nearby. My parents would gather me and my siblings downstairs in our unfinished basement to wait out the storm and the darkness. Now we lived near a lake in a pretty hilly neighborhood and were unlikely to be hit by any tornado, really. My parents tend to be kind of overly cautious about these things, but I, with my childhood imagination filled with these dramatic images from the Twister movie, was sure every time that we were seconds away from seeing our house ripped up from the sky before our very eyes. Fortunately, my anxieties were eased a few years later when my family renovated our basement and I got to move my bedroom downstairs and was able to sleep through these storms rather undisturbed, much like our Lord Jesus this morning. Silly as all this was in some ways, I think these early intuitions about the violence of natural disasters kind of stayed with me. They matured uh, in my teenage years as I became 
obsessed with the works of Ernest Hemingway, a writer who perhaps more than any other understood the inhospitable cruelty of nature, its cycles of violence, its seeming indifference to human flourishing, and its issuing in a relationship of fundamental struggle with humankind. It's perhaps no surprise that one of Hemingway's classic tales takes place in a similar location as our gospel reading this morning, the sea, a stage which represents the manifold vicissitudes of human life in the natural world. I don't know if Hemingway thought much about the doctrine of sin, but his prose eloquently and vividly captures a world in the grip of sin and chaos and corruption. Storms have assumed a prominent place in our public consciousness in recent years. Tornadoes, tsunamis, hurricanes. Many wonder about the effects of global climate change on these storms, making them more and more powerful, longer lasting, and more regular. Many cringe at the way the damages of these storms seem to get distributed disproportionately along racial and class lines. Images of vast devastations caused by natural disasters populate the nightly news often and so routinely that it either drives us to resigned indifference toward the suffering of our neighbors or into a deep fear that we could be next. It seems the storms keep getting worse and more frequent. A 2004 mega tsunami, which killed hundreds of thousands of people living on the coasts of the Indian Ocean. Devastating hurricanes and floods in our own state, including this past fall when Hurricane Harvey tied with Hurricane Katrina, inflicting the costliest storm damages in recorded U.S. history. A storm which wrecked the entire Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, one whose official death toll was first announced as 64 persons, but which we now know is over four and a half thousand U.S. citizens. And we fear that more and worse Storms are still to come, not just physical storms, social and cultural and economic and political ones too. It seems our world is in a whirlwind, to use the language of Job and Mark. And then we hear these words of God from the book of Job, that God has authority over the wind and the waves, that he controls the doors of the sea. But we wonder, did God leave the doors open on his way out when he left, letting the storm inside? Because it often seems, and this week especially, it seemed like our world is drowning. St. Mark's Gospel takes us right into the heart of the storm. 
We're told that evening has come, darkness falls, and Jesus and his disciples are on their way across the Sea of Galilee when suddenly a great storm arises. The winds overcome those on board, waves break hard against the boat, and flooding is already underway. And just in case you had in mind that this might be a kind of small, normal sea squall, note the disciples' reaction. They are confident that this is the end. This storm is going to be the one to do them in. St. Mark, who is usually quite keen on providing details in his gospel accounts, keeps things rather bare in this story. He doesn't tell us where Jesus or the disciples are going or why. I love Jesus' words here. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. That's it. Now we find out later that this is Gentile territory, the land of demoniacs and pigs jumping off cliffs. But for now, it's enough just to say the other side, the unknown, the unfamiliar, the place where we can't expect what will happen next or how we will be received. The church fathers took Mark's omission of details to invite symbolic interpretations. The boat, of course, a classic image of the church, which holds Christ in her stern at the center of her life. The other side, the future, the church is continually called into by the Holy Spirit and steered by the apostles and their successors upon the sea of history. And then, of course, the storm. There had been many storms, and more were to come. For the earliest Christians, probably Mark's readers, it was Nero, persecution, opposition. For later believers, it was heresy, political instability, barbarian invasions. The church has always found herself in a new storm, either sprung on her from the outside, hostility, oppression, antagonism, or one's self-inflicted, hypocrisy, repression, and scandal. Today, take your pick. Certain scandals seem particularly relevant. Sexual abuse in both Catholic and Protestant churches. Toxic and dangerous political entanglements and allegiances. Reproductions of the same racial divisions and injustices in the church as are at work at society at large, we find ourselves in some serious, serious storms. And you're not alone. If you've started to ask God and each other, 
do you not care if we perish? That's the response of the disciples. They turn to Jesus, asleep in the stern of the boat, wake him up and exclaim, do you not care that we perish? This might seem like a somewhat insolent response. My own thought is that it's actually quite restrained. I think I would have just thrown something Jesus' way and yelled, wake up, do something. But perhaps that just reveals something about my own impatience and disbelief. Better, once again, to turn to the fathers instead. Because in their wisdom, the fathers saw the sleeping Christ not as a picture of indifference to the disciples' plight. Rather, it was a supreme declaration of the Lord's peace. It imaged forth the lordship of Christ over all creation to sleep amidst the tempest, declared the power of God. Origen called the Lord's sleep a holy quiet. St. Ephraim wrote that while the boat carried the sleeping Jesus in his humanity, the Lord's divinity carried the boat itself, keeping it safe through the tumult and chaos. The sleeping Christ, he reveals already the answer to the disciples' question after the miracle. Who then is this? The Lord of all creation, the sleeping Christ declares the one through whom all things were created and in whom they find their being. Even the storms hold no power over this God-man, and so while they rage on, he sleeps in holy quiet. And yet, the Lord Jesus awakens and arises to calm his disciples' fears, to declare his lordship to them in deed. He rebukes the winds and declares, Peace, be still. He calms the raging sea and restores it to serene peace. He closes the doors of the sea. It was in moments like these, St. Maximus, the the confessor, claimed that we behold the transfiguration of the world. He called it Christ's cosmic redemption. Even the wind and the seas obey him. They always did, Maximus declares, and they always will. The miracle upon the sea simply manifests what is universally and ontologically true of the whole creation, that Christ is its Lord and is working to bring all of it to complete redemption. The calming of the sea literalizes St. Paul's announcement in our reading from 2 Corinthians this morning that in Christ God was reconciling the whole world to himself. This sea, this wind, these waves are now transfigured in Christ's saving reconciliation of 
the world. They make visible what will one day be true of all creation. It will be ordered in peace and restored in eternal rest. The miracle points toward the day when all storms will cease and obey the command of the Lord, peace be still. The day when he will finally close the doors of the sea and still every storm. I don't know what kind of storm you walked out of when you walked into church this morning. And I don't know what you're walking into once you walk out our doors. Maybe you or someone you love has just received an unexpected diagnosis. And you're bracing for a long and harsh storm ahead. Maybe your home or your marriage feels like a storm raging right now. Maybe you're feeling anguish and distress from the many, many injustices and wrongs circulating around you like a whirlwind. Maybe the whirlwind is inside your head and your chest, and no one else can see it, but you are being thrown around and beat down by waves of shame or regret or uncertainty or despair or self-hatred. Maybe you are right there with the disciples saying, is this it? Are we to perish? And does anyone even care? If you are in a storm, you need to hear clearly this morning the three words our Lord Jesus is speaking to you. Peace be still. And if you're really listening, you're also going to hear an echo and know that I am God. Friends, the Lord of peace is in your storm. And he might stand up and rebuke the waves and calm it, and he might not. He might just sit with you in the stern of the boat and hold you and shelter you and see you through it. But in either case, Jesus is the Lord. In either case, he is with us and he is our peace. So whether the, whether the doors of the sea be locked shut or swung wide open, he is our peace. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 